0: Hi, this is Robert Kiyosaki and you're listening to Entrepreneur Circle with Eric Cabral. On this episode,
1: you're always trying to grow. You're always trying to get better. Mistakes, you know, they're going to happen. They're part of this path. There's nowhere to go, really. You're just, the path is the destination and that keeps you level-headed. It keeps you from getting overconfident or cocky or anything like that. So I think that's that's something I'd highly recommend to people.
0: Hey there, folks! Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur Circle Podcast, where we inspire you by talking to entrepreneurs and business owners about mindset, goals, vision, tips and strategies on how to crush life and business. I am your host, Eric Cabral, real estate investor and a creative. I've been in the creative industry for over 20 years, got my start in New York City as a junior art director and made my way up the corporate ladder to become the creative director at the number one pharma company in the world. That was until I decided to hang up my corporate hat and start my own creative agency called On Air Brands where we broadcast your brand and your message using social media and live stream events Hit us up at info at onairbrands.com to learn more. Also, like, subscribe, and share this podcast on social. We greatly appreciate you for it. And also, don't hesitate to send us any feedback that you may have because we always love, love, love hearing from you. Before we jump into the show, I'd like to share what some of our sponsors, partners, and friends of the show have to offer you.
2: on-air brands has changed the game. There'll never be a day from here forward when you and I and our companies don't need to be on the air. Every brand needs to be on the air, but so few know that. So it's great to work with a group that are ahead of the curve and to find a company that has been built on the core foundation of the future of marketing. If you're ready to broadcast your brand like they've done for my brands, take the next step and make a change that can transform your business. Reach out to On Air Brands today. That's OnAirBrands.com. Yes, OnAirBrands.com.
0: Hey, folks, we are back with another episode of The Entrepreneur Circle. Thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. I am really ridiculously excited today because I have a guest who I had the honor of meeting recently while traveling and going to a big event in Nashville, Tennessee at the Bigger Pockets Conference. And Andrew and I had an opportunity crossing paths on the way out. We were both leaving. He was actually about to jump on a flight. And uh, we connected and said, hey, let's continue this conversation. And I love when the universe allows that to happen. So I just wanted to welcome Andrew Sirios to the show from Stewardship Properties. Uh, thank you so much, brother, for being on the show. Thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, dude. I mean, this is really an honor. You're a huge, bigger pockets uh, contributor and personality. And, you know, we always love and appreciate when we have the bigger... Pockets, brethren and brothers from other mothers come in and we get the chance to talk and and connect and, and potentially do stuff together. So it's really, Absolutely. really cool. So, well, uh, Andrew, um, usually we like to kick off the show by getting into what I like to call the superhero origin story. What was that radioactive spider that bit Andrew Serios and turned him into an entrepreneur. yeah, this one might might bomb at the
1: box office uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh so I start I mean my father got into real estate. he probably had a more interesting superhero origin story than I did. He got started in real estate from what he said, he just liked houses, and so he wanted like his dad was an attorney, and so his, his mom was stay-at-home mother and, and so he had no real no real reason to get in. he just liked. Property And so he eventually bought a, a couple houses in Portland. It was completely Portland, Oregon. He was up in Portland. Uh, this is back when uh, this was right before I was born, actually, and it was a complete catastrophe. Everything went wrong. He did everything wrong that you can do wrong, but somehow was able to get out without losing any money, although he has told me this story uh, where he sold this one house he bought it for bought it for sixty, put a little bit of money into it, sold it for seventy broke even and was ecstatic to break even. And on some real estate deals, that is how it goes. And then he ran into the guy. This he sold in 1985-ish, about a year after I was born or thereabout. Runs into the same the guy he sold it to just out of happenstance in 2013. This was some time ago. And the guy's like, hey, do you want to hear the rest of that story? Because that property just resold. And it, my dad's like, no, I absolutely do not want to hear the rest of that story. And he's like, it's just sold for $950,000. So it went from Seventy to nine fifty. That one, yeah, and that was six years ago. It's probably worth one point two million now. I don't even know, but so my dad. I mean, it didn't work in Portland. Uh, he he was yet to learn how much really, you know appreciation can benefit you over the long term. But he kind, of, I mean, he basically knew it. I what he said is the first thing that really caught his eye was just looking at an amortization table and seeing how you pay down. You know, if you can make the property break even, you pay down principal every single month. And eventually you own a property without any debt on it. And you didn't have to, you know, as long as you were making your pay, as long as you were breaking even, you were not losing any money. Eventually you own a property. So we built up a a portfolio around the University of Oregon student housing. And I didn't have a lot of interest when I was growing up in my dad's business. He would take us to houses after church that he was like, oh, we're looking to buy this one. And me and my brother, Philip, who's my partner here in Kansas City, uh, as well as my older brother, Luke, and my youngest brother, Mark. You know, we're in the car and we're just like, oh, just just we want to go. We, it's 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 you know, it's uh, it's Sunday. We have, you know, Sunday is, I think, Subway Day. I think we had these days like Saturday evening was pizza and Wednesday night was Taco Night. And I think <laughs> Sunday was, afternoon was either, either Burger King or Subway. I can't remember. But we like, just we want to leave. So I never had really any interest in it after. But eventually, um, he kind of made his case to me when I was in college and we joined this internship. He, he put together this internship of basically college students to do, you know, direct to seller marketing, uh, evaluate properties and whatnot. And he brought a few on and, and we started flipping houses. I, I went on after college, started flipping houses in Oregon. It worked all right, I'd say. But then the market crashed and we kind of had to switch it up. We started doing a lot of short sales, um, you know, that's when a bank takes less than the uh, the amount on the mortgage uh, in, because, the, you know, because the person, the, the borrower is underwater. And at one time around 2009, 10, they were just giving these away. And then at the exact same time, this is in Oregon, we're still in Oregon. They cut the cord on that. The banks are like, no, 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 we want 93% of value or whatever. And at the same time, they had this first-time homebuyer tax credit. The, the federal government, I think it was like 6000 7000 for first-time homebuyers. And that was a lot of what the properties you're buying kind of in that price range. They, that went away. So all of a sudden, we couldn't buy very well. Pending sales fell in half. And it's just the business. like We got we to reorient. And my, uh, my parents are originally from the Midwest. My grandparents and uncles and aunts live out here. And a friend of ours is buying out in Kansas City. We're like, Let's just take a trip with them. Um and you'll be shocked to hear this, really shocked. Uh did you know that the prices of properties in the Midwest are substantially cheaper than they are on the coast, Like in Oregon and New, uh, New York and, and whatnot, California, they're they're quite a bit more expensive than Kansas City. I, I don't <laughs> know why. I mean <laughs> But uh we, we wanted to get back into into buy and hold and and um that's our bread and butter, you know, cash flow properties. We we like the rolling hills and not the the Phoenix style roller coaster ride. Um, which is a lot of fun on the way up, and not not so much fun on the way down. So we 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 uh, you know I was like let's just let's make a run here. Let's uh, the the rent costs the, the cash flow potential is great. Uh, I think we can do this. So I moved out shortly thereafter. My brother moved out. I'm the older brother, so I got acquisition and rehab. He took over property management because he's the younger brother. <laughs> and we've just kind of gone from
0: there, uh, just building the the company one step at a time. Dude, yeah, I love your sense of humor, dude. It's <laughs> like. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're so deadpan, like you don't have a smile or anything, but if people are listening, for those of you listening, you're driving in your cars at 88 miles an hour. Andrew's pretty funny, man. Like he's <laughs> he's <laughs> dropping gems here. If you're paying yeah. close attention, it's pretty good. Um, so I, I love how you're saying, uh, you know, because he's your little brother, he gets the dirty work. You know, probably, oh, I mean, course. who wants to do property management? Little brothers always get the. Dirty oh, it's brutal, work. dude. It's brutal. <laughs> I do it myself. I do. It. I still do mine. I'm uh, I'm like, when am I just gonna pass this along? I can't do it anymore, but. You, know, you need um, a little brother, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't <laughs> have a little brother. Estate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to pass <laughs> it to my, my kids. Um, so really cool, dude. I, I love all that. And, and I love how you admittedly said, you know, it wasn't necessarily me that got bit by the bug. But you did. I mean, you, you, you were intelligent and aware enough to recognize that, hey, there's a really cool opportunity here. I mean, I'm sure you had friends, you know, that were working at, at pizza shops or doing their thing. Thing and, and bartending and you didn't go that route to like do like these you know deemed cool type of jobs like you went to go work for the family biz learn on the job do something that normally people don't get into because they're afraid so um, well, I think it's contagious
2: yeah dude. To,
0: and yeah it, the bug can can pass from one to the next oh yeah absolutely and 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 thank thank God you were blessed to to have absolutely. a father that was mm-hmm. just... Into the game already and super aware and experienced, yeah, that that's awesome, dude. I I honestly no, it's envy just, that. I'm
1: definitely blessed in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: mean, my parents were the opposite. They were they were in debt most of when I remember growing up, uh, living beyond their means with credit cards. So I did learn lessons. As far as like what not to do, right, <laughs> yeah. and not like go bankrupt. Um, you know that is not the way uh, you want to live your life. But um, yeah, so so you 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 were influenced by your dad, your mom, your your family. You also mentioned that yeah, you, uh, you know offline that Gary Keller had a big influence uh, on your life. Oh, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I think Gary Keller's book. I mean, I work. You know, I write for Bigger Pockets, and I, I definitely think they have an incredible catalog of books. Um, but Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Investor is, is definitely one that I would highly recommend. It's the first book that I think it just drives home kind of all the different points. It, like, it kind of makes the case for real estate investment. It explains how to evaluate properties and areas and how to oversee rehabs. And it's just, it, you know, it's, it's a great resource to, when you're getting started. Um, I wouldn't stop there, but I, I think it's definitely the book that would have it. And I think that was, um, that was one of the books that my dad gave me very early on. Gotcha. Um that I think helped shape my uh my mindset with kind of made the case for real estate why this is so powerful like you know it's it's he has this saying uh, I, I've never heard anyone else use it so i s i'm just gonna say we coined it now that I have no proof that's true, but I'm just gonna say <laughs> we claim it, it so, now, yeah yeah we're just gonna we we put our stamp on it, so it's the ideal investment the uh, you got income from your cash flow, especially if you're buying in in area, I mean, you're not, it's going to be tough if you're buying in Manhattan, but it's, it's, if you're buying in Kansas city, Oklahoma city, et cetera, you know, positive cash flow, which we always recommend, uh, depreciation, you know, every, you know, the government considers the property reducing in value, even though it's usually going up in value. So you can write it off your taxes If you're an active real estate, we can't write it off against your jobs income anymore. Uh, but if you're an active real estate investor, that way you don't have to pay income taxes, at least for the first period of time, you do have to eventually once you sell, but we won't get into that, but yeah, uh, it's very helpful to reduce your tax burden. Uh, your equity buildup is you pay down principal on long-term debt, bank loans, appreciation. I, you know, the real, real estate goes up. I think long-term, I mean, it, it varies, obviously yeah. uh, anyone who's lived to 2008 knows that, <laughs> but, uh, it long-term it goes up three, about 4% a year, a little, I, I think it's just slightly over inflation. And when you have debt on the property that's compounded, so it's actually going up, you know, substantially more. And then um, lastly, leverage, you know, the ability to uh, buy more than, than the amount of money you have. And I'd even add one to it, and that is that real estate is an inefficient market, unlike the stock market, which is extremely difficult to find deals. I wouldn't say it's impossible. I mean, Warren Buffett's done it. You can find good deals on the stock market, but, it, you know, anyone can buy, anyone can sell. The entire, like, you know, you know uh, Apple's stock is just there. You can't, it's not hiding, it's not hard to find. With real estate, uh, if if you know every house is almost its own separate market, and if you can find a motivated seller or a value add situation, or just kind of a diamond in the rough, something that's been missed, um, there is uh, that pro- you can buy that property for substantially less than its market value, which gives you the advantages of leverage, which is that every percent it goes, the market goes up, you get four percent, five percent on that. And also avoid most of the disadvantages of leverage. Because if you buy with a 25% margin or even a 20 or 15% margin, even if the market goes down, you're still protected. And so that's the big risk with leverage is that you've, you, you're opening yourself up to all this risk. But if you have that cushion, you don't have that much risk. So that's why it's one, it's so important to buy right, but also why real estate is so uh, advantageous. And I think um, while... The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Kelly doesn't have the the ideal acronym in it. Uh, it does go over that concept, and, and that really kind of opened my eyes when I, when my dad was
0: trying to infect me with the uh, real estate investing. <laughs> bug, <we'll call> it. <laughs> That's awesome, awesome. So so we're coming to, uh, at you at a time when you've you've had relative success. You've been growing your business. You've ex- expanded your reach in different markets. So um, talk a little bit about the earlier days when you had challenges, when you were facing times that were like okay. You know, I'm falling down, but I'm learning from it. Um, you, you all, you know, you mentioned maybe um not have not baking like capex or contingency in your budgets and sort of learning that as you went and and to start building it yeah. more. And so so you want to talk about that type of stuff, like what you learned along the way. and any any negatives that you turn into a positive?
1: I mean, i think I think one thing I try to stress to anyone starting out in real estate uh, that I think is uh, not, I mean, it's discussed some, but it's not discussed enough. And that is that, rehabs always cost more than you think they will. And they always last longer than you think they will. And there's this, uh, the, the entrepreneurs can have this optimism bias where they're just like, this will work out because it's going, I mean, nobody thinks they're going to go bankrupt, but some people do go bankrupt. So it's like, we, we are, we are predisposed to think of things going better than they actually will. Now that doesn't mean don't, you know, be all paranoid and, and don't start or try. But uh, what it does mean is you, you need to be more, you need to go in with your eyes open. And so one of the things I realized very quickly is that on rehabs, we needed to very, you know, go, first of all, go through it very diligently. And not just be like, Oh, this is about this or, or this is about that, you know, not go through each room, make sure to do, you know, and, and kind of put like, okay, what are we going to do in this area? Like, okay, this is before we even make the offer. Um, because you got to make your offers based on some decent estimate of what your rehab will be. So instead of like, Oh, it's approximately 20,000 We'll offer 70,000. Cause that means the 70% rule or the 75% rule or whatever. Let's actually go through and run down. Like I, I highly recommend Jay Scott's book. I've I constantly am pushing it. The, the book on estimating real uh, rehab costs or rehab expenses. I think it's something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, I have I, it on my, I, I have it back here. Yeah, so me too. I'm <laughs> should I pull it up and show the audience? I, yeah, <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, just J dot, and Scott, you'll you'll find it. Yeah. And uh, I, I took his book actually, and he has 25. <laughs> I made it 27, I think, different line items of areas like bedrooms, mm. bathrooms, roof, etc. And I just have this sheet with all of them lined up, and this is approximately what I think it's going to cost. Approximately what I think that's going to cost. Mm-hmm. I can run through the house very quickly. I mean, it's just not. I don't want to. You don't want to spend an hour on a house you haven't even made an offer on yet. Yeah. And then I, you know, add uh, something for the knickknacks, like you know, okay, we got little outlets and and you know, bulbs and blind and this, that, and the other. And then the punch out, because there's always this phase at the end where it's going to cost you an extra thousand, $2,000. And then in addition to that, the holding costs, people, some people forget about the holding costs. And finally, just a contingency. And that's just like, this is just stuff, especially with bank owned properties or properties that are in disrepair or whatever. There's often, you know, there's, there's stuff that you don't see and, and maybe you can't even see without opening the walls or, or whatnot, even if you get an inspection report, you know, there's only, a lot of times inspector will be like, couldn't view this because couldn't get access or the power is not on because you know, all the wiring's cut or, or just who knows. And so add, uh, I'd say 10 to 20%, probably closer to the higher end when you're getting started to your overall expenses. And that way you have, a, you know, it's a higher budget and you might get less properties because you're, you know, you're being more cautious with your rehab budget. But you're being realistic and that's what you're going to hit when you're in your, um, when you're, when you're actually doing the rehabs. Uh, the last thing I, I'd also highly recommend, you know, I, I wrote a very long piece on due diligence. I think it's the ultimate guide to diligence. I'd, I'd recommend that. Uh, it's about five thousand words. Uh, don't skimp on that. You know, get especially for any new investors, get into uh, third, you know, get a, a professional inspector to look at it, go through it again. I would recommend any property older than 1980 to have the sewer line scoped to make sure that it's not collapsed or anything like that. And so yeah, do your very thorough due diligence. And then finally, you want to double check. Make sure that your budget after you've gotten the property under contract is pretty close to your estimate. I mean, if if, if there's something big that you missed or something or more, especially if there's something big that like you just couldn't have known of, like the sewer line collapsed, go and renegotiate, re-retrade with the seller. And then also it sucks, especially if a rehab goes sideways, but after rehab, look at what you actually spent. And then compare that to your estimates and your budgets. You might have like a fundamental sort of structural problem. I think a lot of investors, it kind of sounds, it sounds kind of pathetic, but it's happened to us. And I think it's happened to a lot. And that is, they can, people continue to budget based on what they think it will be. And then their rehab, their rehab prices continue coming in high and they never, bring them together and rectify it. Never say like, oh, there's a structural problem here. I'm underestimating on a consistent basis. So mm. even though it's, it, it's, I mean, the worse the rehab went, the more important it is to review it. So you always want to go back and double check, see how you did on the next time, you know, adjust accordingly.
0: Right, right. So I personally, I, I get and understand how, you know, you want to sort of tweak and modify, you know, from project to project. But what do you think about, you know, every single project isn't the same thing, right? So there's always going to be a different issue or a different challenge um, that hits a different line item, say. Um, Do you continue to modify, you know, your due diligence and your analysis um, on a case-by-case basis and then make one sort of template? Like that template is always moving. It's always changing. Mm -hmm. It's not fully baked. Well, the template is just, is very like, you know, how is the is there a you
1: know HVAC is there an AC? What do you think the cost will be? So it's it's fairly simple, but you you need to keep up with what the prices are more. And I've always like and what the changes are in the market. Uh, for example, like sheetrock got a lot more expensive in the last couple of years, and so sheetrock repairs or adding rooms or something like that has gotten more expensive. Um, at the same time you know other things I, I haven't seen that kind of change in the prices of like furnaces and acs and things like that and so that's definitely something you want to keep pace with i've always felt the best way to do that is to, to kind of get an idea i mean you can go to home depot and kind of get an idea for the expense the cost of things but you don't have the labor i just demand every contractor and we i haven't had any contractors say no to this not a single one so i don't think it would be a problem even if you're doing your first property um, although most of them know we have more than you know more down the line if they do it right, but we asked them to put a line item scope. Every line item is separate bid, and on our sheet so I can compare them directly to other bids. I I used to have them just like I want a line item scope, and I just let them give me what they had, and it'd yeah. be like ones in a PDF, ones in Excel, ones yeah, yeah. handwritten. It's just a mess, and so I was like, no, 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 on our sheet, and we use a program called SmartSheet, which is kind of Excel on steroids, mm-hmm. and by reviewing these. Uh, bids and comparing them, I can get a decent idea of what things cost. You know, what does a ceiling fan? cost? What is the simple? You know, a simple one of those simple light, uh, really light globes. You know, that's you know, okay. Well, it's going to cost, you know, probably sixty to seventy five dollars to install one of those. You know, a ceiling fan one hundred twenty five to one hundred seventy five. Uh, you know, it, it, you know well, I was going to say blinds around 20, uh, but they actually went up in price quite a bit recently. So, you know, you start to get an idea, a feel for that. Mm -hmm. And then you can also, I like, like I, I used to do this. I, I, we have hired a rehab manager since then, but I would literally go down my scope and budget it myself. And then I compare Mm -hmm. my budget, you know, to, to uh, various contractors. And you know, it's a little, you know, you're not going to be perfect. Some contractors are much higher on certain things than others and much lower on other things. It's like, it's, you would think it'd be extremely consistent and it's kind of consistent, but it can vary a bit. Mm. But you can also find with line item scopes, one, contractors can't hide big, like sometimes it just give you a ridiculous quote if you don't do that. There's no confusion over what was bid. Mm. Like that, I, we've had this problem before where it's like, I thought you were doing this. Like, oh, I don't, I must've missed that or I didn't bid that blah, blah, blah. No, there's no confusion. It's in the line item scope. Right. And if something's too high, you just cross it out. If it doesn't make sense, or you kind of on the edge about it? Well, you just, we're not doing that. Yeah, so yeah. Always get line item scopes and use their bids to keep to learn uh learn construction costs and to kind of keep pace with where construction costs are going.
0: Yeah, I I I I dig everything you're saying. Um and I would recommend that anyone listening who's getting into rehabbing or early starting into rehabbing or even have gotten really comfortable with it um, to constantly, like you said, check. Always keep abreast of what the current and latest uh, you know pricing is. Um, and then also to um, to make sure who whoever you're working with, you know, is has a track record. Right. And then also not mm-hmm, to absolutely not to. Um, like I said, get too cocky that you because it sounds to me like you you know the pricing I remember when I used to get into flipping because i I never really really started to do it full time, mm-hmm. but I was getting to the point where I was comfortable and uh, walking through a house and estimating it myself and then getting mm-hmm. the quote and if it, I, and then I get uh, it's super cocky when the guy came in and it was like almost to the dollar, to the penny from whatever came out in my head, right? I'm sure that yeah, happens to you all the feels, time, right? Like, I, I, I was mean, spot yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Or, I
1: mean, I got the same feeling with appraisals. Uh, you know, yeah. I almost feel like even when they come in high, which would be a good thing, I was kind of like, oh,
0: how did I miss that?
1: Or, yeah. You know, but... Uh, or well, sometimes I'm like yeah, that appraiser's out to lunch.
0: <laughs> but uh, no, I, I definitely know the feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like a superpower, right? When you can just walk through a house and you're like, ah, yeah, that that rehab there is going to cost eight grand or twenty two grand. Or, but uh, yeah, it's, it's I mean, pretty we can cool. Call it that. Yeah, yeah. Or even um, when you start to really know a market so well, you can literally walk down the street and look at a house and hang out with a friend who doesn't know anything about real estate investing. Mm. And you can pretty much tell the price of that house, like what that's, I, I don't even need to look yeah. on the MLS. I know what that house is worth. Um, that's a pretty cool, yeah, cool yeah. thing. And I mean, it just takes, it takes, uh, I mean, it's just that it's one
1: of those things. I think a lot of newbies feel overwhelmed or actually, the noobs. They feel a little overwhelmed, uh, especially, I mean, they can even probably I think feel that way. And this is one of the reasons I don't like kind of the guru attitude of, like, Oh, I know. And I'm like, you can make so much money. I've made so much money. I'm doing, so great. you know, you, you know, you should always, I, I can't stand that, especially since I've seen behind the scenes of even successful investors. And it's true for us. You do not, I mean, you it actually probably be fairly uh, put a lot of new investors minds at ease to see how, uh, how the, uh, how it is behind the scenes. It is just saying there with like butchers. I can't remember for some reason. Um, it's it's usually messy. Uh, every successful investor, every successful entrepreneur I know has gone through all sorts of, you know, awful experiences, had made horrible mistakes, yeah. done things that they look back on thinking that like, were they like on, you know, asset or something like, you know, how could how could I made that decision? And so it's, uh, it's, but as you get through all these things, as you, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things you just like almost survive until you've actually become successful. It's, it's you don't know, <laughs> that's yeah, the way yeah. to think of it. Um, you kind of these these things start to just become ingrained. The more you read, the more you listen, more podcasts you listen to, more books you read, more articles and stuff like that. The more you actually get out there and do, the more you talk to professionals, go to meetup groups, the more you more offers you make, more re, you know more deals you actually do. The more you build your business and whatnot, these things sort of start to just become ingrained in you. Like, oh yeah, that property probably cost somewhere between you know it's on like it's listed i don't even see it but it's probably 100 to 110 mm-hmm. and uh you know that rehab i've you walk through a house for you know i still write the whole sheet but it's usually like yeah this is gonna be about 30 and then i write it all out it's like 31 or something like <laughs> yeah that. so but that just starts to come right. as you know as, i mean it's like you know riding a bike playing playing yeah. an instrument you know at first it's like you 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 know when i first i, I played the guitar when i first started trying to do that Uh, you know, it's like changing every chord was like this horrible ordeal, right? And Mm. then now it's just like, it's just automatic. Right, right. It's the 10,000 hours. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that 10,000 hour rule, you know. Although that does make another possible mistake. I should note, like, I think some some newer investors do envy us who've been in it for a while. And like, oh, well, once I get through all these mistakes, I won't make them anymore. There's a whole new (laughs) set of mistakes that seasoned investors make. And it usually comes from cockiness, overconfidence, getting lazy or just starting to assume things absolutely, Uh, or getting bored and and getting the shiny object syndrome, you know? So there's a whole new set of problems you can get once you've actually had some success. So don't, don't be too envious. I mean, life never stops being a challenge.
0: Right. Right. So it'd be boring if it did. Yeah, absolutely. I agree (laughs) with you. A thousand percent. So, if to for the audience, and I imagine those out there who are relatively new investors or want to get into investing, mm-hmm. um, can you share a story that'll make them feel better about you know what they're doing or the decisions they're going to make? You know, of of maybe a failure, something that some some negative you turn into a positive that you learn from um, yeah. along the way in the early days. So yeah, I actually wrote an article about this house. It's, we bought this house down in the south part of Grandview.
1: Um, this is, I think a good one of, this is not by any means the only one. I know I jumped on that one real quick, but there, I, there are some other ones that could tell, but it was a bank owned property. It was $25,000, three, one with a ba- bedroom and a bathroom in the basement that was mostly finished. Now, a couple, like the number of mistakes I made in the analysis of this property were huge. The first one is kind of embarrassing. And that is, <laughs> I didn't, like, I knew, okay, a finished basement is not to the level of a, unfinished or of a, you know, if it was on the first floor or whatnot, but there is a huge gaping chasm between a bedroom and a bathroom in a finished basement and a bedroom and a bathroom above ground and even a bedroom and a bedroom and a bathroom in a walkout basement. So if you could like, like, let's say you can't get in there from the front, we can walk out into the backyard like it's built on a Hill. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, a lot of homeowners have said it is basically, you know, living space. A bedroom and a bathroom even basement, even if it's got an egress window so people can escape when it's fire, that is like extra whatever space, you know, when the, you know, when the kids are back, you know, kids back from college, they can stay down there, you know, the dungeon is not a huge benefit, especially in an area. This particular spot was not that high quality. Next, I mean, we tried, the power was off and there was some electrical work that needed to be done because it's bank on. It can be hard to get this on. And I did not put a contingency for the electrical. The panel looked fine. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. Panel's good. It looks good. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. So I didn't, you know, I couldn't get the power on. I should have put a contingency in there for the electrical. Turned out all the wiring in the basement was shot. We had to rewire the basement. In addition, the uh, I, th- I think the fall on the toilet wasn't. Good. So the plumbing, in the toilet wasn't good enough. It didn't fall. Having a fall, I think this is the problem. It was, it was something. But we had to literally tear up the. The concrete and redo the plumbing to get that bathroom oh, to work in the basement. Man. and then this one is also like the cabinets looked meh, and so you know I was looking at them. You know I looked at them and they looked yeah okay we can just paint these and put new poles on them and they'll be all right. Once we start getting into them, they just started falling apart. So oh we had to redo man. all the cabinets in the kitchen too. It's just not anywhere near thorough enough due diligence, and mm-hmm. part of that was I had just gotten to the stage is is sort of a combination of new mistakes and seasoned mistakes the season mistakes oh i know what i'm doing because right now we buy enough properties we don't get a property inspector unless it's a big one Mm -hmm. and we want to really check it out carefully because i feel like okay i'm inspecting it myself i'll put a contingency in for those things it's you know that saves us some money on the inspection costs and rapid fire don't do that if you're a new new investor don't do that if you're a new investor (laughs) but at the same time like so i got to you know i've kind of moved past these new investor mistakes but i got kind of cocky and like oh well You know, if you're going to do that, you need to inspect more carefully yourself. And at least I should have been like, really, like these cabinets don't look that good. Really mess with them. Had done that. So we had to replace all the cabinets there. And I think, you know, the lessons learned one in rough areas, or this isn't rough, but mediocre areas, you cannot buy massive rehabs. They just, unless you're going to do it yourself. And this is like almost a project that you just want to like a, a project for your own, you know, gratification kind of thing. Uh you can't buy these huge gut jobs. And and this didn't appear that way, but that's just in general, like you will rehab out your equity because it's just not worth enough. Uh that might that might not be a problem in Manhattan or San Francisco, even in the worst <laughs> areas there. But uh in the Midwest and the South, I mean, you can easily rehab your equity in a lot of these properties. You gotta mm-hmm. be careful. The second one is finished basements are not worth that much. Like if if they don't have a walkout, it's not worth that much. Also, you have flooding issues and this property had some flooding issues. So we had to get a sump pump in there. We had to do grading. We thankfully didn't have to. I mean, sometimes you have to dig out, uh, you know, either push the wall back or dig out behind the uh, in front of the wall and to seal the property, which is extremely expensive. Luckily, we didn't have to do that there. But it's just like you, you're you often have flooding issues. The pro- It's not worth that much to people. Um, and it's just like you get mold down there, all sorts of endless problems for something that's not that much value. So finished basements, unless there's a walkout, are not that useful, not that big of an addition. Appraisers rarely even count that; they just note finished basement, give you five thousand. So it, it, unless it's almost finished, don't finish your basement, and don't see that as a big boon. You know, uh, usually now it, we either rip them out if they're half done, or we'll create like a half. Uh, you know, you can also create these um sort of finished basements as often call them, you know, we'll paint the floor with like a uh, oil based paint and paint the walls and just leave it at that. Like, so we paint the floor gray and the wall's white and boom. And it looks mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, we could put a ping pong table down here, a pool mm-hmm. table, you know, put some couches and chairs, you know, have like, this would be like uh, the man cave or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but that, that can work. And, um, if you're going to do, if you're not going to do inspections, one, which you should never do if you're a new investor, you should always do inspections. If you're a new investor, you have professional inspections. Make sure you look at it much more carefully. Don't get cocky. Um, and yeah, and I didn't have enough contingencies and the contingency for the electrical and the plumbing. And when I couldn't test them, but they looked right, I didn't put the contingency. I put a general contingency in there, but I should put additional contingencies for things I couldn't test. Gotcha. And so, um, yeah, that I mean, I, that's a long <laughs> list of mistakes and hopefully lessons, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Uh, a great,
0: that was an awesome story. Uh, tons learned and taken away from that. Was that, uh, for a flip or was that a buy and hold? It was a buy and hold. And I mean, one, one thing about real estate, we
1: ended up going, I think just shy of double my budget. So, um, Mm. it was bad. And, uh, and we were, we had, uh, too much. We were over leverage. i mean we had more into the property than it was worth so was like you do a bunch of work and you lose money that can happen in real estate <laughs>
0: uh,
1: but you know now that we bought that property in 2013 or yeah and now that property is worth you know it's worth more than we have into it by a, a decent margin so i mean the nice part of our real estate is appreciation and principal paydown and cash flow can eventually uh, undo of sorts your mistakes especially if you're in buy and hold and so uh, if you can, you know, a lot of it, especially with buy and hold is because you're, you, you say, you know, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, and that's great. But it's it's hard to get a a, a sizable chunk of cash flow. I mean, buy and hold investors are often cash poor. It's almost a cliche. <laughs> and it's almost just survive, survive, survive. And then all of a sudden you're successful.
0: <laughs> yeah, you and I were talking about that in Nashville. Um, I remember we, were, we we were both sort of commiserating about that, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we're cash flowing, but... Uh, when we first got into it, you no, know, nobody really tells you it takes years and years to get to the point where you can kind of just replace your salary. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know a good friend of ours, Anna Kelly. Um, she told me it took her about five years. Um, she, mm-hmm. you know, she she learned a ton and said, you know, I would have done it in a shorter amount of time, knowing what I know now. But um, one of the cool, just sort of between you and me and 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 the thousands of listeners, um, the she said, I gave her all of my sort of quick assets and portfolio snapshot of it um, in a conversation. She's like, you realize you could probably get to where I am in two years, and I was like, that's so inspiring, but I have no idea how to get there that quickly. Can you help me? <laughs> Can you be my coach? Um But yeah, how amazing if, yeah, just, I mean, but you do, you have such a team and a family, mm-hmm. all of investors who are all working towards the same goals. And that's, that's massive in this, man. Like to be able to no, have that absolutely. support system is just, uh, it's, it's, it's not common, man. And um, yeah, yeah I, I'm truly like uh, happy in, uh, that you're no, blessed that you. way. And um so we I want to be sensitive of your time. We're we're coming to the tail end, even though I want to continue talking to you for hours yeah. here. You got so many cool stories. Maybe we, we can absolutely schedule another one. Yeah, I was just like, gonna say that. Let's <laughs> schedule another one, brother. Um so so we come to the tail end where we talk about, you know, some of the things that are the recipes for success that you could help people that are listening that wanna either just become entrepreneurs or they're they're you know, they're in the game and they're sort of getting they need some inspiration. What are what are some of the things that thrown into a blender, you know, and mixed up, you know, could, could help people out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of a. I think the first thing is to try to work on having a level head. Uh, entrepreneurship and any entrepreneurship investment, any any form of this, is going to be a roller coaster ride, and it's not only important to you know, to realize that there will be downs. They they will happen. You will lose money. You will make bad decisions. Uh, you will have rehabs go way over budget. You have properties sell for less or rent for less than you're expecting. Uh, just kind of to level off that, that roller coaster and try to keep, um, try to keep a level head. And that even goes for when things are going well. I mean, you do want to celebrate successes. You don't want to just, like life is not some monotony. Uh, you want to celebrate successes and you want to celebrate those sorts of things. But at the same time, there's a danger of getting overconfident of getting, of getting too, you know, and overconfidence can lead to laziness or just mm-hmm. like, I, I know I like, I'm, you think you're just all that. And then all of a sudden you make some really, really bad mistakes. I've seen, I've, I've certainly heard of that happening plenty. And, um, I think const- one thing, one thing that can help with that is constantly be a learner, um, is sort of to humble yourself. One, uh, one of the things I like kind of about this, the bigger pockets community, I think that both of us are kind of a part of and our other other ventures that we're doing is that, it's, it's, I feel it's much more humble and down to earth than it was 10 years ago in the real estate education space. And it's, it's much more of a, you know, we're trying to, uh, that, that sense is like, you're always trying to get better because you're never there. And, and the way I, I try to put this, I think this is general for life, is that there, this is, um, actually, it's kind of a, a thing from Scott Adams, the guy who wrote Dilbert. Uh, he talks <laughs> about the difference between systems and goals. And I found this really, really, uh, uh, I don't know if it's inspiring, but it kind of paradigm shifting. And that is goals put you in a position of constant pre-success failure. So you're, you're once, as soon as you get to a goal, you've, I mean, before you get to the goal, you've, you haven't succeeded. And once you get to it, you set a new goal and you again, haven't succeeded. So you have these brief windows of success if you even get to your goal. And so his is more building systems and like you are just down the and learning to enjoy and desire the path that you're on and not the destination because the destination, even if you get there, will just become the next, you know, just the, the next way stop on the way to the next destination. And, and that I think not only is just a more enjoyable way to live life, but also is much more conducive to success because you're always trying to grow. You're always trying to get better. Uh, you know, mistakes, you know, they're going to happen. They're part of this path. You know, problems are part of this path. So just, Just if you see yourself on there, there's no, you're you're going down the road. You have no idea when there's nowhere to go, really. You're just the path is the destination and that keeps you level headed. It keeps you from getting um, too high or too low and it keeps you from getting overconfident or cocky or anything like that. So I think that's, that's
0: something I'd highly recommend. Dude, that was freaking gold then. Seriously. (laughs) Everything you just said. Thank you. Mainly. Also, I loved what you just said. The path is the destination. Mm -hmm. And that truly is what it's about, man. And people, you know, I have a lot of coaches and people around me that um, say, you know, I hate bucket lists. You know, people like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that, man. That's on my bucket list. And I catch myself saying it, too. And I forget why. And the reason is everything you just said, because once you achieve that goal or why are you putting off something that you can do now? Why mm-hmm. why, why are you putting off things that you want to accomplish for a later date when, you know, and, and the same thing is what you're saying with goals. It's like you, once you achieve that goal and you, it, who's, if you're not the type of personality that's going to continue setting new goals, um, then you're just going to stop. Right. And mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to put your feet up. And uh, that's not what being an entrepreneur is about. That's not what evolving as human beings is about. Um, Just constantly leveling up. You know, leveling up is so uh, accurate, you know, especially if, if I don't know if you're a gamer or were a gamer, but um, oh, you back know, in my youth. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, you look like, like, yeah, we were both I mean, gamers. I I'm talking GoldenEye. And- yeah, I loved <laughs> GoldenEye, man. <laughs> that was the best thing before uh, the, you know, online went nuts. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was so much fun. Well, you know, we used to do, it's, it's really quick, the episode should end here, or maybe I'll have my editor put this up as an Easter egg but uh <laughs> dude the coolest Bonus thing, content yeah we used to split <laughs> our tvs into four tvs in my basement with remember because it was a qu- there were quadrants yeah. there were four quadrants in goldeneye it was first person shooter oh you have LAN uh, land parties I, it one, was kind one, of it, it was before land parties so we would split the video signal to four different tvs and then we would block off with black construction paper the quadrant so you'd have this you know five by six inch screen and nobody could cheat and know where you were because people would hide around corners and stuff by looking at the the <laughs> other quadrant where you are. Yeah, yeah, dude. But anyway, that's- I definitely
1: remember having the uh, Mario Kart battles uh, yeah. with friends and brothers and whatnot. Uh, we didn't have any setup quite that sophisticated, but yeah, or the uh, or Smash Brothers, well, Smash Brothers and Mario
0: Kart. Yeah, well, And then Golden Eye. Oh, oh my god! Can you? <laughs> if we had all those hours back. Of times we spent playing video games, dude. Oh my God, countless, countless. I probably. <laughs> I mean, I've it. heard it helps with hand-eye coordination. Yes, I used stuff. to say that to myself yeah. all the time. <laughs> but yeah, dude, this has been everything a blast, in moderation. Everything yeah, everything in moderation. in moderation, and you know, and now that it's funny because I bought a VR headset because I'm such a huge tech and an early adopter. I bought a VR headset from um uh who who, who's, who makes it? Oculus. So Oculus makes this oh, headset. Oh yeah and I, I you know i went i went hog wild for three months you know non-stop and then uh i just put it away i haven't touched it in like a year and a friend of mine who i was having dinner with last night said i'm producing vr content can i send it to you do you have a headset i was like you know what actually i do i get a I got to blow the dust off of it. He's like, what are you talking (laughs) about? Blow the dust off of it. It just came out. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm an early adopter. Remember, I I bought that a year over (laughs) a year ago. And he's like, oh, yeah. uh, So give me feedback on my VS. But dude, there's so many cool things we could talk about. We could have a show that's not about real estate and talk about all this cool stuff that we're talking about offline. Absolutely. I'd love to be back on. Cool, brother. Oh, hey. So, how can people reach you? So, um, um, please yeah. mention before your website and your companies, I forgot to tell the listeners oh, yeah, no that problem. you have a podcast. So, we do have a podcast. My yeah.
1: father, me, Ryan Dossey, who's on Bigger Pockets a lot, and our operations uh, manager, uh, Amanda Perkins, is we all are on our podcast talking about all, you know, we have 30 minutes to talk about one deep dives into particular topics on real estate. Love it. It's called The Good Stewards, and you can just go to thegoodstewards.com. Our company website is stewardshipproperties.com. And then you can find me on Bigger Pockets at uh, Andrew Sirius. I, I have a blog there. I usually write about an article a week. And uh, you know Facebook, Andrew Sirius as well. But yeah, mostly Bigger Pockets and the Good Stewards would be the places to find me.
0: So, yeah, folks, look for Andrew, Sirius, S-Y-R-I-O-S. He's everywhere. He's there for you. He's a wealth of knowledge and experience. And, you know, just reach out, listen to his show and, and his team, you know, to, to gain some, some access if you want to work with them. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K, at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast podcast